This is the Read, Write, and Create podcast, the podcast where you get a bite-sized session of creative writing coaching from me, Lori L. Tharps. I'm an award-winning author of both fiction and nonfiction, a journalist, and a former college professor. I've spent more than 20 years writing, teaching, and coaching creative writers, so I created this podcast because I want to help as many BIPOC writers as possible get their stories out of their heads and into the world. Are you ready? Let's go. On today's episode of the podcast, which is our last episode of the season, I want to leave you with a pep talk that will leave you truly lit. I want to get you fired up and inspired to write, but also give you a source of inspiration you can always go back to when you need that little pick-me-up. So I decided to share my own secret source of inspiration for my writing life. Wait for it. It's the NBA. Yes, the players of the National Basketball Association have been keeping me uplifted as a writer since 1999. What happened in 1999, you ask? I married my husband. And even though he was born in a small town in the south of Spain, he's been a rabid NBA fan since he was a kid. And while I used to think it was annoying that he could literally connect every single thing in the world to something about Michael Jordan, over time, he was able to show me how some of my greatest struggles as a writer had already been solved by some of the greatest players to ever hit the courts. Trust me, it took me a minute to see things that way, but my husband is both persistent and wise, and he was able to help me when I really needed it with my writing career. So... I decided to give you guys a pep talk where I explain three key concepts every writer can learn from, from NBA legends Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan, and LeBron James. If you're skeptical, that's okay. I get it. I was too. But I promise, these are lessons that you don't want to miss. So stay tuned. Hello, all of my writers and wordsmiths. I am so happy that you're here for this last episode of the Read, Write, and Create podcast. Now, I originally thought that my husband was going to join me on the show, but he is like, you're the podcaster, not me. So you know all the stories, you can tell them. So it's a solo episode, but again, let's just say the spirit of my husband is hanging over us as he really did help me figure out what were the best lessons to take from the MBA to share with a writing audience. So I'm going to basically share three scenarios, like real life scenarios from my own writing life that I took to my husband. And uh, per usual, he was able to help me solve these problems, if you will, by connecting them to a MBA player and his quote unquote struggles or the way he solved a similar problem. So like I said, it took me a moment to believe that there was really something I could learn from NBA players. But the way my husband explained it was this. He said, as he watched me try to build my career as a writer, it made him hearken back to the things that he saw these NBA players do to build their careers. And he told me he saw a parallel between the passion and dedication that I was putting into developing my craft as a writer to the passion and dedication that these players were putting towards building their career as basketball players. And because of the passion that my husband has for basketball, he sees that game 
as an art, as a craft, no less intricate and beautiful than I look at writing. Now, I don't share that same view of basketball, but that doesn't mean that it's not there. So whenever my husband would explain these things to me, I started out with that skepticism, but then I realized that there really was something to the advice. So going to share these three different scenarios that I think every writer will recognize. And if they haven't experienced it yet, you'll definitely experience it at some time, maybe more than one time in the course of your writing career. And let me just apologize really quickly before we get started. I am dealing with a horrible allergy situation. So I apologize for my overly nasal voice right now. Hopefully it will get better, but I just want you to know you're not crazy. I do sound a little bit different today. It's because of the allergies. So anyway, situation one, mind your body. So the scenario that I am talking about happened in 2019. I was hired as a ghostwriter for a book and I had a crazy ridiculous deadline. So I was spending hours hunched over my desk trying to you know, make sure that I could bang out an entire book in something like three months time. So I'm hunched over my desk in my basement office and I started to experience a lot of pain in my arms and my wrists. And, you know, I was walking around the house, wiggling my wrists and rubbing my arms, constantly complaining about this pain. Now, it wasn't enough pain that I couldn't work, but it was obviously quite worrisome. My husband noticed my discomfort and he suggested I get a massage. I quickly poo-pooed the idea My first thought was, I don't need a massage. A massage is a luxury item. I'll take some Advil and keep it moving. And that's when my husband gave me one of his NBA pep talks. So the story he told me was about LeBron James. LeBron James spends something like $1 million a year on the upkeep of his body. Between trainers, dietitians, a personal chef, he spends a million dollars a year on the upkeep of his body. And my husband said to me that because he needs his body to perform at peak condition, he's willing to invest in it. He cannot do his job unless his body is in good shape. Moreover, LeBron James is 38 years old and is still performing at peak levels that players half his age are not able to perform at. And so my husband turned to me and said, your body is also required to be in peak condition in order for you to write. If your arms and your wrists or your back or your shoulders are not functioning properly, you can't do your job. You literally can't write. And so investing in your body by getting a massage and anything else you need to do to have optimal health and strength in your body means that you are not taking your craft, not taking your job very seriously. And so when he said that, it was actually a revelation for me because I always think of me being a writer that the only thing I need is my brain, my ideas, that that's where it all comes from. But the truth is that if my arms and my fingers and my wrists don't work and I can't type, then I am useless as a writer. So Just having that idea that investing in taking care of my body is a necessity as a writer because my body parts are necessary to write made me rethink my attitude about spending money on things like a massage. After that conversation and a couple more, you know, didn't sink in all at once in one quick pep talk. But by the time we moved to Spain in 2021, I 
made a commitment to have regular massages. I also bought an ergonomic keyboard. I bought a kickstand for my computer so that I was not hunched over my desk anymore. And I also have started a regular yoga practice. So all of these things cost money, but I didn't think of them as expenditures. I thought of them as investments. LeBron James is playing basketball at 38, which is considered like unheard of in terms of age for a basketball player at his level. I also want to be writing well beyond my 50s. I want to be able to be writing until I don't want to write anymore, not until my body gives out on me. So investing and taking care of my body is a lesson well learned. Thank you, LeBron. Lesson number two, choose curiosity over competition. So for this situation, what had happened, this was really earlier in my career, I was working on my first novel, Substitute Me, and I just felt like giving up because I would look at all of the writers who I was aspiring to write like and thinking, I will never be as good as them. Mind you, I wasn't comparing myself to Toni Morrison or anything like that, but just the writers who were on the bestseller list, on those tables as like editors pick lists, you know, when you would walk into the the bookstores, I just couldn't see myself as getting to be as good as my favorite writers. And it just made me not want to try anymore. I lost the hope because the competition was so great. That's when my husband gave me this wonderful story about Kobe Bryant. May he rest in peace. So my husband told me how Kobe Bryant started his basketball career. He actually was raised in Italy as a child. And when he started to play basketball, his approach was to look at the players who were better than him. And rather than stay away from them, he would challenge himself to play against them so he could see what made them better. Even as he was, you know, in high school and starting to play professionally, he would put himself up against the better players so that he could learn from them. He would say, okay, this play is like this, or this player does this, has this skill or this trick, and I'm going to try to do that too. And even if he didn't master it or he didn't win that particular game, he was always saying, well, I'm getting better though. I'm learning from these guys who are better than me. Now, over time, of course, the way that ended up was that Kobe Bryant, when he retired, was known as one of the best players in the NBA. And he got there by looking at the ones who were better than him as potential teachers, as people who could teach him something, people he could learn from instead of people he should run away from. So that Kobe Bryant story really stuck with me because it made me think, how small and how limited am I looking at my own potential by simply saying, I'll never be as good as these other writers. So rather than looking at the writers who are quote unquote better than me as competition, I should be like Kobe and look at them as potential teachers. Now, the other thing about that is Kobe didn't just say, well, I'll study them from the sidelines. And then when I think I know all their tricks, then I'll get in the game. If he took that approach, he would have never had the actual practice of playing and learning those tricks and doing them. So if I said, well, I'll just read a lot of books by my favorite authors, or I'll just take a lot of classes, but I, I won't actually do the writing, I'm never going to get better. So two lessons from Kobe. One, look at your competition as teachers. Look at them as people who you can learn from. And two, you got to put yourself in the game. I have to write 
and maybe write a few bad novels until I can learn enough from the greats that it can be incorporated into my work and I too can be like Kobe and retire as one of the greats. So lesson learned from Kobe, choose curiosity over competition. Now, the third lesson I want to share with you is use rejection to fuel your progress. So this scenario happened after I finished my novel, Substitute Me, and it came out and it got some very good reviews, both with professional reviewers as well as book bloggers. This was way before Bookstagram was even a thing, but you know, it was pretty well received. But then I got two particularly bad reviews. And not only were they criticizing the story, they were criticizing my writing, but somebody even said something to the effect that I should stick with journalism because clearly I'm not good enough to be a novelist. Ooh, that hurt. Now, why pay attention to that one review as opposed to the dozens of other positive ones? Well, writers, you know how it is. You're always going to fixate on the one negative review. But still, I was thinking to myself, Maybe I'm just not good enough to be a novelist and maybe I should just stay in my lane. You know, even though I didn't have a face to put to the critic who said that about my work, it just felt like there was somebody out there who was saying, you're not good enough. You're not good enough. And I, of course, took this tragedy to my husband and he was like, let me tell you a story about Michael Jordan. Of course he did. So this is the story he told me about Michael Jordan. I did not know this at all. Some people might, it might be new information for others. But the story is this. He told me that when Michael Jordan was in high school and first wanted to be on the high school basketball team, he didn't make it. The coach actually said to a young Michael Jordan, you're not good enough. You didn't make the team. Now, at that point in his life, he was still just little Michael Jordan. He wasn't anything spectacular. The coach saying you're not good enough didn't make Michael Jordan despair. It didn't make him give up. It actually made him want to prove that coach wrong. So he spent the next year of his life practicing extra hard, doing more than he'd ever done before. Now, he also apparently grew during this time. You know, he got taller, he got stronger, which obviously is going to help in basketball. But really, he just spent all that next year practicing, getting better, taking that coach's you're not good enough and getting ready to turn it on its face and prove to the coach that he was good enough. And sure enough, by the next year, he made the team. Now, that philosophy of Michael Jordan's apparently fueled him for the rest of his career. He was famous for saying whenever he got criticized, when he got a loss, he would take the anger from the criticism or the anger from the loss and use that for fuel to play harder, to try harder, and then win the next time around if he could. According to my husband, now again, This is all according to my husband. I'm not a basketball fan, so I can't even say this from personal knowledge. But according to my husband, who is like a stan, right, he said that sometimes Michael Jordan would literally kind of get into, um, I don't want to say fights, but like he would haggle with the crowd at a game just to get his anger up so that then he could turn around and play harder because he had really trained himself to use that 
negative energy to fuel his own playing. And Sachs, I guess a bunch of younger players now have copied him in the same way in that using that anger and that negative energy to fuel their playing at a higher level. Now, nobody's saying to go, (laughs) I don't know, go provoke a book critic. No. But the idea that instead of letting negative criticism or rejection, which is part of a writing life, you're going to get rejected. You're going to get criticism. Rather than letting it get you down, rather than letting it turn you into somebody who doesn't believe in themselves, why don't you use that negative energy to inspire you to get better? So when my husband told me that, it was something where, again, nothing takes away the sting of a bad review or rejection or somebody telling you you're not good enough. But rather than letting that person's negativity be the end of your career, why not say, no, I'm going to prove them wrong. There's nothing better than being able to turn around and show your critics a bestseller or just a a good review and be like, yo, in your face. Michael Jordan was famous for sticking his tongue out when he, you know, made a a dunk. And so I just see myself in the same way. I'm going to get to that place where I have that fiction bestseller and I will hunt down that one critic and be like, in your face, look at this. Maybe it'll take me two or three more tries, but that's the way to use negativity so that it doesn't put you in a downward spiral. Instead, it motivates you to just do better. All right, those are the lessons that I think every writer can use and learn from the NBA. And I asked my husband for like a final thought if he had a a wrap up. And what he said was that NBA players, the ones that rise to the top, they all have something that is not talent. I mean, yes, they have talent. But what he says, what they really have that sets them apart is that they have a passion for the game. Michael Jordan actually had a quote that said, give me four players with heart and we will beat any team that has way more talent because it's heart that makes the difference. So it's passion, perseverance, and always playing your best. Those are the things that the basketball players that rise to the top have. They're always practicing. They're always looking for ways to make themselves better. And they're always in the game. So I look at that the same way for writers. If you are passionate about your craft, you don't have to be the best, most talented writer, but you're passionate and you are willing to persevere and be in the game, keep writing and put your writing out into the world, then there's nothing that you can't accomplish. You can be like Kobe, may he rest in peace. You can be like Michael Jordan. You can be like LeBron James because that's what they do. They always are in the game. They're always striving to do better and they're willing to invest in their craft, invest in themselves. All right, that's it. That's the pep talk. I hope this coaching session left you inspired and motivated to write. I hope you feel a deeper connection and commitment to your literary projects and practice. And maybe just maybe you want to go play a game of basketball. Here are the takeaways for you to remember from today's pep talk. One, just like LeBron James, you need your body to be in peak shape to write. Therefore, take care of it. Get that massage. Do some yoga. Take some walks. Get in shape. Stretch. Eat well. If your body isn't in optimal shape, 
your writing won't be either. Taking care of your body is an investment in your craft and your career, not a luxury. Number two, think of the writers who are more accomplished than you as your teachers, not your competition. Number three, be like Mike. Use your rejections and bad reviews as fodder for doing better. Use the anger to write more, practice more, read more, and then prove the critics wrong. All right, that's it. That's the end of this episode, and that's the end of season one of the Read, Write, and Create podcast. As I mentioned, I will be going on hiatus for the summer months, and we'll be back here in early September. Now, I am going to be working on that novel that I keep talking about. I hope to have it in my agent's hands by the first week of September. So in the meantime, I might re-release some episodes of past interviews that I've done with some really amazing authors. So be sure you are subscribed to the show so you won't miss those because like I said, they're really powerful and impactful interviews with some really top BIPOC authors. Next, just because I'm resting from podcasting doesn't mean I will be resting from blogging. I will be continuing to update the Read, Write, and Create blog with resources, opportunities, and literary tourism ideas for the summer. You can find the blog at the Read, Write, and Create website. That's at readwriteandcreate.com. Now, speaking of summer and taking off, (laughs) actually, this has nothing to do with summer because actually my retreat is in October, but still, it feels like a summer activity to me to have a writing retreat. But yes, the official Read, Write, and Create Writing Retreat is officially open for registration. Now, as of this recording, it is May 18th right now, and there are still a few spots left on the retreat. Now, this is the retreat that has been specifically curated and created for BIPOC women writers who have a significant writing project that they are working on, either in fiction or creative nonfiction. We'll be staying in a gorgeous country estate in Sevilla, Spain, and we'll be pulling inspiration from Spain's multicultural history, including their hidden black history, to inspire our writing. So, of course, it shouldn't have to be said that there'll be delicious food, writing instruction, and beautiful, beloved community to embrace you at this writing retreat. If you're interested in coming, and I would love to have you, please check the link in the show notes so you can register and sign up for the retreat. But don't delay because the spaces are going pretty quickly and there are not that many spaces. Only nine writers can come to this retreat. So it's going to be an intimate group of writers working, writing, living, laughing together. All right. I think that's all I wanted to update you with as far as when I'll be back and what I'll be doing this summer. You can still stay in touch with me on the socials. Remember, I always like to show off my literary lifestyle on Instagram. I'm at Lori L. Tharps on Instagram. And I'm also always sharing writing opportunities on Twitter. And on Twitter, I'm at read, write, create. That's read, write, and then C-R-E, the number eight. I will obviously leave the links in the show notes. Now, before I let you go for real, for real, because this is the last episode of the season, I'm asking you to please consider leaving a rating and a review of the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to listen to podcasts. Those ratings and reviews really help the podcast apps 
know that this is a dope podcast and it helps people who are looking for podcasts find us. It only takes you a few seconds, really, just to pop your little finger on a star, hopefully a four star or a five star, and less than a minute to write a quick review. I appreciate you for doing that. Now, I also wanted to just give you a final appreciation and to let you know how much it means to me that you guys are listening to this show. This is a passion project for me. And to see that people are responding, the few notes that I've received, the shout outs on social media, I hear you, I love you, and I thank you so much because it fuels my fire to keep going and to bring you guys even more inspirational pep talks and writing resources for our next season. Until then, you guys know, the Read, Write, and Create podcast is produced by me, Lori L. Tharps. Our editor is Brad Linder. Our theme music is by Wattaboy. So I won't be back in two weeks. I'll be back in two months. And until then, keep writing. And you should be writing a lot because two months is a really long time. See you later. Let's go out with the music. <laughs>